0: Hello, it's Andrew May and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, Bite-Size Edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological and emotional state. In this bite-sized edition from episode number 66, Michael Bungay stania talks about how he turned a nightmare scenario involving technology crashing all around him into one of the best interviews he has ever done. During an early morning interview, MBS found himself being asked to coach Brene Brown live on her podcast. This was just after he had lost Brene's video feed and he was unable to see her. He literally was in the dark. Michael talks about how he went back to the basics and used simple techniques that he talks about in his best-selling book, Like Holding Silence. He also refers to his seven essential coaching questions and using the This Not That format to create a great coaching session that he is still proud of to this day. I I, I want to get you. I I want to ask you if you can combine two themes we've spoken about. I'm I'm so curious, which we'll get to in a moment curiosity. See the impact you're having on me? (laughs) We're talking about that state management. So before you do a big performance moment, I would imagine interviewing or talking to Brene Brown on her podcast is a massive performance moment. Yeah, Yeah. it was. (laughs) So, So, how did you prepare for that physically? Yeah. And then what questions on those seven essential questions did you run through to help you? Because you did a, a live coaching session. Now, I, I do some live coaching. I, I build it into my keynotes. You, know, you do the reps and sets in a so-called non-pressurized environment, one-on-one or one-to-a-few. You can pull it out in a keynote in front of a couple That's of thousand. Right. Yeah. Brené Brown, champ. Yeah. And the live coaching session, that's like walking on a tightrope. And I love that you did it. And I love the interview. We'll, we'll play an excerpt. <laughs> but can you take me back you know, those, those two components, that physical state to get ready? And, and then how did you even think about the question? So you were relaxed, but prepared.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it started with, um, I had kind of somehow come across Brene's work before she became famous or super famous before she had her ted talk which is what really launched her and i had connected to the extent that she actually i've actually blurbed one of her first books she wrote to me going michael can you blurb this book for me so you'll find it on the back cover or on the inside cover you know this young woman will make i think has good potential and may go far michael bungay isania you know it's like oh, those days have changed now she just calls up presidents and whoever else But so she'd been on a couple of podcasts I'd done. I'd done a few things that for her, we kind of had a a connection. But then she just blew up. And, you know, she had an an email, which is something like Brene Brown at AOL.com. And that stopped working (laughs) because, you know, she has a a secretary and a secretary has a secretary and she has a team around her and she's besieged by people who want stuff from her. So I sent, I I tried a few times to reconnect and it didn't work. And I was like, oh well, that was good while it lasted and I hope she's successful. And then I got a note from her her team saying, Hey, would you like to be on her podcast? And I'm like, are you kidding me? That would be amazing. And Two things. First of all, she gives you no briefing as to what the podcast is about.
0: Really? Just So you just rock up with a blank canvas?
1: You just rock up with a blank canvas. The so one thing she asks you to send through is a playlist of four or five important songs for you. So I'm like, okay, that's great. And so I was actually in Australia at the time because in the last three or four years I've been back and forth to Australia because my dad was dying and my mum's trying to figure that out as well. So I happened to be back in Australia when this was being done. So... So I, I was kind of I was anxious about it. You know, the two weeks beforehand, I'm a trying to listen to all the podcast interviews she's done with other people, so I have a sense of her style. B, I'm trying to reread bits of my own books to try and remember what I said because I'm like, I'm not even sure what book you're talking about. You know, which one? Are we, which are we? What are we going to dive into here? And it was at four o'clock in the morning, Canberra time. So so, how was my physical state? You know, I was like, I'm I'm a morning person, but I'm like, it was four o'clock in the morning, so I have, I have my little, I have, I'm in my childhood bedroom. Like this is literally the bedroom I was a two-year-old in, and I'm staying there because I'm living with my my parents, and that brings its own complications because you know we are shaped by our environment. So I don't know if anybody listening had the experience of going back to their childhood bedrooms or houses, but you kind of become the surly 17-year-old you were when you left home. So I'm like <laughs> trying to be an evolved 50-year-old or 55-year-old, however I was, and at the same time feeling like this kind of sullen, surly 17-year-old. Anyway, so so I, I've, I've been sweating it a bit. I am nervous. But I've also done a lot of podcasts and and I know about state management. So I'm doing kind of breathing and settling and holding it lightly and going, that's fascinating and kind of unclenching my hands. And I have a little tool I use to help me with state management. It's called This Not That. It's a list of seven words, seven pairs of words that talk about me in my best state and me when I'm kind of 15% off my game. So it's things like, Provocative, not sycophantic, stepping forward rather than stepping back, holding it lightly rather than treating it seriously. The manifesto of insignificance, which is a blog post I wrote years ago about how, in the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter that much, versus, ooh, this really matters. So I'm trying to, I'm using all of that to try and put me in the best possible state. Anyway, then we show up and we've got an audio recorder playing. And we've also got zoom set up so that she and I can see each other and kind of have that human connection through the camera. Anyway, two minutes into it, the camera fails. So now it's four o'clock in the morning. I've got my lights up. I'm sweating, but there's no camera. So I'm really blind to what's going on and how she's reacting. <laughs> and I'm just going Disaster. On. Well, it's I'm like it's I'm dancing in the unknown at the moment.
0: Are you planning an upcoming conference or company offsite? For the past 15 years, I've averaged speaking at over 50 events each year, and I still love presenting at conferences as much as I did when I first started. To explore the different presentations I offer on a range of topics and themes including physical and psychological well-being, becoming burnout-proof, connection and belonging, that's a new area I'm, I'm really enjoying presenting on, neuroscience and behaviour change, mental skills and leadership and culture, or if you'd like to understand our fully integrated conference experience with pre-event diagnostics, activities throughout the agenda, including a morning wake-up, energy breaks, team-building activities, and digital resources to embed learning. To find out more information and to download a brochure, go to andrewmay.com keynotes.
1: 45 minutes into it she goes all right Michael so coach me did i know that she was going to ask me to coach her no she'd given me no warning that that was going to happen so i was like oh i was like of course and i i like you have done a certain amount of public coaching and i and i've taught my seven questions a lot of times so i'm like i immediately was like I, so i need to try and role model the best of these coaching questions that I have. And I need to try and be bring a presence to this. And, you know, and I need not to screw it up because I'm coaching Brene Brown and this is a podcast that's going to be listened to by a bunch of people and it will either make it or break it. So anyway, yeah, we get into the conversation. I'm like, okay, so what's what's the real challenge? What's on your mind, Brene? And I think I only asked, I only used like three or four of the questions from the seven. But if you, if people choose to listen to it, I think what they will notice is how much silence is in the conversation. Cause I would ask a question. It's probably though. So what's the real challenge here for you? Or what do you want? Cause those are the two questions that typically provoke the opportunity for deepest reflection. And I would ask a question and I would hear nothing and i can see nothing <laughs> and part of me is going hello hello is this is this is hello is this mic on that in my head and part of me is going what coaching often does it just allows people permission and space to think so shut up michael one of the things that you teach is ask a question and then be quiet and listen to the answer you've already asked the question <laughs> so the job now is to be quiet and then listen to the answer and you know the feedback i get from people who listen to that are the silence is the act of mastery you know the questions are good but it's that holding the space blind coaching unexpectedly not knowing where this is going feeling a certain amount of pressure because i'm like i I also want this to be successful in a performative way and it was a sweaty palm moment for sure (laughs) what else is a challenge here for you do you think
0: This is a challenge, at least feels like a challenge to me. I think my primary role at this point in our organization is context and connective tissue and adding color and helping people understand how a million different things that we're doing fit together. Mm -hmm. And I'm failing at it. Right. I'm just not doing it. There's two observations I'd like to make on that. The first one is I love seeing, even at your level of mastery and writing and success, that you still got really bloody nervous leading up to it. And so when you have those moments and you go, oh, I I had a presentation recently, which was a big group. I don't have permission to to share, but it's a big group. It's taken me years to get in front of this group and I was shitting myself. And then I just went... I've done this hundreds and hundreds of times. That monkey voice starts inside. What if you stuff up? What if you say the wrong thing? And and then you just go, okay, be nervous, but align my nerves. Get them working for me. I could see when you were talking about that, you had that dance. Yeah. Second, I love, though, when you got into it, That then you obviously settled into it, couldn't see her, reset, and you just went to what you'd done multiple times. And holding that space, again, I've had to learn this, I coach a CEO of a large Australian organisation and coach a number of executives that report to this CEO and and this man, and I've told him that I'm onto him because when I first started working with him, he'd ask a question, and he just looks at you and goes. And you've done beautifully because you do that to most people, and they interject because they can't wait the three or four seconds. So I know he uses this. Yeah. And and we have coaching sessions and sometimes it's sitting in that reflective space yeah. for 20 or 30 seconds. It, it, it just feels so long. But I've, I've learned to enjoy that. Yeah, exactly. And then some of his direct reports, and I don't share anything, obviously, with a client with direct reports, even though I coach them, yeah. they'll all say, oh, yeah, the, the boss, can you teach me some of these skills? Because when I talk to him, he holds a space and I get really nervous and I'll say, what do you do? <laughs> exactly. Like, okay. So let's breathe in that. So yeah, I, I love seeing one that you were nervous, two that you went into your mastery and, and an extension on two. The the power of cultivating free space is one of my favorite quotes to sit in space to create space. Yeah. It's where some of the best learning, some of the best coaching, best interaction happens.
1: Yeah. I mean you know, one of my favorite coaching moments came with a, a guy who's a friend of mine and who knew this work pretty well he had been a facilitator for some of my stuff but he called me up and he went michael i, I need your coaching i need you to help me think through this thing and then he said so okay you always go well, what's on your mind so here it is and you, blah 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 blah. and then you go but then you go oh so what's the real challenge here for you and uh so the real challenge is this But then of course you go, and what else? So what else? Well, it's also this. And then you go, and what? So it's, and then of course you go, so what's the real challenge here for you? And he goes, well, it's really this. And then you would probably ask, well, what do you want? And so it was like this 15 minute coaching session where I literally didn't say anything. He just monologued his way through it. And what I'm doing is I'm witnessing it and I'm being present to it and I'm holding the space for it. And It is remarkable that if you are trying to coach, if you can show up and be present and see and hear that person, that is such a powerful moment for them already. But here's the twist on this when you are in a default advice giving mode, oh, let me fix it because of my habits, because of my neuroses, because of my advice monsters, you're not you're not witnessing them, you're not present to them, you're not seeing them. You may think you're helping them, but, you know, that's debatable often. You know, it has its roots or one framework to know about that that might help with this is uh, Martin Buber's framework, uh, saying there are two fundamental types of relationship, I-it relationships and I-thou relationships. And I-it relationships have some of that, Ah, uh, transactional nature to them. Uh, it's more kind of a little more mechanical. I-thou relationships are when you're your full present, messy, glorious, confused self, and so are they, and you can both be present to that. And how rare and actually how fleeting i-thou relationships are. That they're, they're you know, they don't happen that often. But if you can bring that presence and that attention you call that forth from the other person as well and you have these really powerful moments potentially
0: hi again it's Andrew and I hope you really enjoyed that episode we would appreciate if you helped to amplify the performance intelligence podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review this really does help get the message out to a wider audience and I love reading the comments as well If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including Matchfit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com, and we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.